The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. Trust you all had a good week. I'm thankful that you're here. I'm glad to be here with you this morning. I'm going to do something a little bit different. Hear the words of the uh, Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians here. Um, I just wanted to share this with me, and then we're going to share this with you, and then we're going to dive off into what God has in store. These words, these words held me upright this week. Um, there's just the Bible will hold you upright sometimes during the week. But hear these words here, verse 8 of chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians. Paul says that, He says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. I've been telling you that Paul took the gospel literally all over the world. Listen to this. This is so sweet to me. He says, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. We were burdened beyond our strength, but we we despaired for life itself. Then listen to the grace of God here. He says, indeed, that's that's a forceful language there. He said, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but hear the grace of God here. It's so good. He says, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves. That is to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises from the dead. The words of the Apostle Paul. Let's pray this morning, and then we'll jump off into the book of Philippians. Father, the depth of the text this morning is legion. It's beyond really anywhere that I can even dig and that will never in this life, really never in this life touch the bottom of this rich hymn that we will begin this morning. I pray that you change our lives by the way of its truth. I pray pray this for us. How astonishing it is, Father, that the God-man, Christ Jesus, who became a man that we might lay hold of life through him. How astonishing it is. I'll never, I'll never get beyond it, Father. I'll never get beyond the fact that you're a God that raises from the dead. So may the nature and purpose of Christ's life speak into our lives. May it transform marriages. May it mend broken relationships. And may it build, ultimately build your church for your purposes. I pray um, at this time, I pray, Father, for Greg and his work. I pray for his life. I pray for his family. I pray that you hold him upright as he spreads your goodness in another part of the world this morning. Extend your grace to him and his family, and we ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen. The book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 5 through 8 this morning. This is a really an incredibly deep piece of scripture this morning. Verses 5 through 8, 5 through 11 of chapter 2 is what's famously known as the Christ hymn. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to unpack it in two, there's really no way to touch it in two sermons, but we're going to unpack it this week and next week, two parts on that. So chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, the Christ hymn. Christ is our example. So last week I gave you this diagram. I think I have there you go. In all of its beauty, I, I slacked this week. I didn't get it up on a blog. I promise you that's going to happen this week. Um, but last week, we talked about this diagram here. I put some things in front of you. I wanted you to think clearly about what Paul was doing in the first two chapters. So we've been arguing that the challenge, the mission at, that's built into the first part of this book here is the loyalty to the content and movement of the gospel. 
Last week, we talked about what Paul gave us as the keys to unlocking that challenge, is the keys to being effective at that challenge as a church and individually is to live in humility and to live in unity. And I told you that the first part, that upper part right there is others focused. It's the inverse of individualism. One of the cultural things, cultural trends that you're dealing with that I deal with is a life of individualism, the me, 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 me culture that permeates everything that we walk. And so I believe that this is some of what Paul has been getting at. And so I've been arguing that if you pursue everything above that line there, it will give you purpose in this life. This is the gospel applied to your life. And from the content and movement of the gospel, everything above this line, Paul gives us these jewels that drop out of it. Joy, happiness, godliness, holy courage, community, victory. So as we pursue the content and the movement of the gospel, as we fight against individualism, we will find these jewels for the Christian life. I told you last week, based upon scripture, I promise you, based upon the authority of God Almighty, if you pursue loyalty to the content and movement of the gospel, if you pursue it through unity, if you pursue it through humility, you will find happiness in this life. You will find holy courage in this life. You will find community and you will find victory. I believe that. So the keys, the two keys up there, unity and humility, they're an important turn in the, in the Apostle Paul's thought because these, these two things, the primarily we all argued about last, year, last week, they're grounded in the Trinity. If you remember last week, we talked about the Trinity and how the Trinity is the basis, it's a theological basis for unity and humility in the church. We, I, ta- I gave you a little bit of a view of what, how Trinity works and the idea of love. More on that at Easter, two parts coming on Easter and love, love between the Father and love between Christ and mankind. That's gonna be where the Easter sermons are, don't miss it. Cry, uh, the Trinity in your salvation, what has to happen? The unity and humility in the Trinity that has to happen for salvation to arrive to you. And then within the roles of the person and work of the Trinity. And if you'll remember last week, this is beautiful. I wanna repeat this because this is really marvelous truths from the Bible. The Father had to design salvation The Father designs salvation, the Son purchases the salvation, and the Spirit communicates that salvation to mankind. Others, we, do you hear the love in that? Do you hear the unity in that? The Father has to design it, the Son has to purchase it, and the Spirit communicates us to. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable in some ways. And all of that, all of what we've been dealing with in the first couple chapter, the first chapter here in the first part of verse two, I think Paul uses all of that to set up where we're gonna go with the next two sermons. He'll often do this. You see it everywhere. We see it in Romans. We see it all over the Bible. He gives you these theological truths. He gives you theology and then he gives you application. Paul will unwind these systems of thought. He'll unwind these systems of thought and then you know what he does? He takes you to meet the king. He'll unwind these systems and then he takes you right to meet King Jesus. So that's what we're gonna do this morning. So hear the words of the Apostle Paul here in the second chapter of Philippians, verses five through eight. Verses five through eight, some of the most magnificent words in all of scripture. He says, have this mind among yourselves, unity and humility, which is yours in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. 
the first thing I, I read on this weeks back. Listen to this. You open the first book, book to start reading on this, and this is what it says. It says, the literature on Philippians 2, 5 through 11 has become virtually unmanageable. <laughs> and you're thinking, where do you go from there, man? I mean, good grief. And so you want to close the book and just kind of head on back home. So literally, I'm not kidding. There's been entire Books. There has been, people have spent their entire lives dedicated, literally their entire life dedicated to single words in this scripture this morning. Just single words in there. I read a dissertation. I'm a loser. I do things like read dissertations in my free time. I read a dissertation a few weeks ago. Gentlemen spent four years studying a single word in this scripture right here. Four years of his life, thousands of hours. It was a marvelous piece of work. It was great. But I mean, this is what we're dealing with this morning. So I can never touch the bottom of this thing. I can never even begin to touch the bottom of what we're gonna do. But I'm gonna attempt to do something for us this morning. So we've gotta do something with So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pull some stuff out of this. I'm going to pull two theological truths from this scripture. I'm going to examine them a little bit. We're going to examine two theological truths from this scripture. I'm going to give you a major point of application, how to apply this to your life. And then I'm going to give you a doctrine that helps you with that application. So we're going to deal with it at 60,000 feet. I'm going to give you two large theological truths. Then I'm gonna give you how to apply that truth to your life. We're gonna think together about what do we do with this. And then I'm gonna give you some doctrine that's gonna help you with that application. So that's what we're gonna do this morning and I hope it's helpful to you. So for purposes this morning, I'm gonna focus on the two natures of Christ that we see in this hymn. This is unbelievable. I mean, there's so much, you wanna talk about humility. How do you even deal with this stuff? So I'm gonna set forth Christ in his divinity and Christ in his humanity. That's the two positions that this text gives us. These are two major theological truths that come out of this this morning. They have major implications for us. So Jesus is what we term truly God and truly man. There's a lot in that, but it's important for us. He was, he, was, he was God, yet he was man. And so how do we even think about this? Christ deity, okay? So there's one God. We, we, I gave you this last week. There's one God. This language is important. We have to think clearly about this. There's one God, and he subsists in three persons, the doctrine of the Trinity. When we speak of Christ, we speak of God. When we speak of the Father, we're talking about God. When we speak of the Spirit, we're speaking about God. When we speak about the Son, we're speaking about God. They're not three separate gods. They're the same God, one God, one God. So important for us. Each person of the Trinity is distinct, yet they're very truly God. God is not like man. He, God is not like man. Sometimes we get off thinking about this. God is not, you've got the first rule of theology is you can't equate God to man. <laughs> God is not man in the sense that sometimes when you try to think about God through the lens of men, you get off balance here. So God, God did not, he did not divide himself like a normal man does with the son. That's not what happens God doesn't divide himself to create a son the way I do. It's not the same thing. The son is truly God. He doesn't divide himself for that. The son is not part of God. The son is God. Jesus is literally God. The son, Jesus Christ, he had no beginning. This is incredibly important truths. Jesus had no beginning. He existed in eternity past, which means from the beginning when there was nothing, there was Jesus, fully God. There was God. 
Is that, is that clear on that? So from eternity, the father was the father. From eternity, the son was the son, and so forth and so on. So from, from that, the, clip, the scripture is clear on this. The scripture is clear on these truths. I'm just trying to give you the basic truths of Christ, Je- Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is the subject of the New Testament. And if you, weren't last, if you weren't here last week, go check this stuff out. So I talked about this some. And his deity is in every, is pervasive in every part of the New Testament and even in the Old Testament. The Old Testament alludes to him. Think about Isaiah 53. Think about this stuff. We realize the seed of the woman comes. And so that's part of the Trinity. That's the basis of it. So you need to leave here this morning and understand if someone asks you, is Jesus truly God? You say, yes. That's what separates us from everybody. I told you the way you get to heresy is you say, what do you do with Jesus? That's what separates the men from the boys in this. That's what separates separates Orthodox, Orthodox Christianity from everything else. What do you do with Jesus? Jesus is truly God. He is God. And so at the same time, what's so, what's so challenging for us is at the same time, and I hope to clear this up for you in a minute. If you're confused, hang on. We affirm Christ's humanity. Christ was truly man. So the text tells us this morning that Christ, he himself, he became man. He became man. He took on the form of a servant and he even experienced death as a man. He experienced the same things we do. This is important. This old dead guy, Wilhelmus Abrekel, is just an old dead dude from the Netherlands from a long time ago. You don't care about him, but he helped me think about this so clearly. This clarified everything for me. The person of Jesus Christ, he did not humble himself according to his divine nature. This is what I mean. Jesus didn't stop being God when he came. He concealed it. Major distinction. Think clearly about this. He concealed his divine, this is, this is a major ramification for where we're going. He concealed his divine glory behind his assumed humanity. In other words, you can't stop being God because you're Jesus Christ. That does, that's not the way it works. You can't just sit the God thing over here on the side and say, I'm gonna be a man today. You conceal it. That's what separates us from everybody This is what makes Christianity orthodox. This is so important for us. He concealed his divinity to become behind his humanity. Why is that so important? Why is it so important that we say he concealed it? He didn't sit it to the side. First, because scripture unfolds this truth that God, Jesus is truly God. He is God. He is a part of the Trinity. The scripture unfolds that he's truly God, he's truly man. But secondly, secondly, why is it important that we affirm this? Remember, 60,000 feet, I'm giving you the deity of Christ, the humanity of Christ. It's so important for us because it was a personal decision by Jesus Christ to conceal his, his, God, his deity. It was a personal decision by Jesus Christ. I'm gonna bring this home in a minute. He chose to conceal his glory. He didn't have to do it. Think about it. It was so personal. It was a personal decision or action. It's grace. It was a maneuver on his part and it has serious implications for us. Jesus becoming human wasn't wasn't the act of humility. Jesus becoming human wasn't necessarily the act of humility. There's more to it than that. The real humility, the real act of humility is that he chose to conceal his glory and expose himself to the circumstances of mankind. 
He chose to conceal his glory and expose himself to the circumstances. He was always God. He died as God. He came as God. He suffered as God. He concealed all of that and exposed himself to the circumstances that you and I live through. His power under control is so is so beautiful. Jesus becoming human wasn't exactly the act of humility. What is really the act of humility is that he chose to conceal his divine glory and expose himself to the circumstances of mankind. To have the power and not use it is a totally different thing than having it at all. To have the power and not use it, that's the humility in it. The humility of Jesus Christ in the verse here, in, in, in these verses, is that he could have walked away. He, couldn't wa- he could not walk away from his divine nature. He's God no matter what. The best he can do is conceal the glory and take on the circumstances of mankind. How powerful is that? How powerful is that? He feels the same thing you feel. This is God Almighty. The same circumstances that you have gone through, whatever you have faced this week, Christ Jesus has exposed himself as God Almighty to those same circumstances, the fullness of humanity, the humility of Jesus Christ. It was a personal action to him. He, was, he willingly was born into poverty. He had no reputation that was profitable to him. He had no beauty, Isaiah 53, that anyone would look upon him. He was in the form of a servant. He was in the form of a carpenter. He had no significant on this earth and maybe the most humiliating thing about the whole thing is he was considered a fraud for his entire life he was considered a fraud and they killed him for it he placed himself in the circumstances of mankind he concealed his divinity at any point he could have summoned the angels of heaven and manifested his power on this earth His humanity manifested itself in his exposure to the circumstances. He suffered, I told you this last week, he suffered to live out the law and he he took the curse of the breaking the law. Not only did he live the law perfectly, but he undertook the penalty for breaking the law. Death, death. And so he had to unite himself with humanity's circumstances. He had to come down in here into this messed up world and get in the water with the people. He had to get in the deep end with the people. There was no other way to fulfill the law. There was no other way to fulfill the brokenness of the law. The brokenness of the law that we caused. There was no other way to do it. And so he took the form of a human, pretty low circumstances for God Almighty. Pretty low. Then he doubled down. Listen to this. He took the form of a human. Not only take the form of a human, but he went another step. He doubled down. He took the form of a servant. Do you realize he could have came and been the most powerful political figure ever to live on this earth? He's God Almighty. And then he triples down. He takes the form of a human. Not only does he take the form of a human, he takes the form of a human servant. And then he proceeds to the ultimate. He took the form of a human servant and he died. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. The willingness to conceal the divine glory behind the humanity in order to take on the requirements of salvation. Do you realize what I'm saying? Does this stuff change you? Does it impact you? Do you realize what has to occur for salvation to reach you? 
I promise you, nobody in this room is strong enough to do this. Nobody in this room is strong enough to live with that much control, that much discipline, that much unity, that much harmony, the willingness to undertake the circumstances, to conceal the divine glory, to conceal the equality with God. I couldn't do it. I'd have never been able to do this. No chance. No chance. We need another. We need Jesus Christ. He didn't have to do this for us. That's where I'm going today. There are implications for what Jesus is doing here. And we should, we should be in awe of this. We should rejoice in the beauty of his deity and his humanity. This is the gospel. This is the central feature of the gospel. I had a conversation with someone about a heresy yesterday. And I told him it's always Jesus. Always the deity of Jesus. Every heresy, that's where it gets. That's where it gets. How unbelievably wise it is and how astonishing is the truth and how we should be in awe in it that you should raise you to excitement. There's so many implications to this though. There's real time. There's salvation in this. We get a gospel to this. But the, God, but the Christ's concealment of his divine glory in order to humble himself, you gain your salvation. But there's other major implications to it other major implications to it for us this morning and here it is here's the application I'm giving you two theological truths application and I'm going to give you some doctrine at the end to deal with this application this is the implication for us Jesus he never utilized his status or his position for himself individualism he never utilized his position or his status for himself. Not only did he conceal his divinity, he exposed himself to the circumstances on it. He never utilized his status or his position for himself. I think one of the reasons Apostle Paul goes through all of this beautiful doctrine in this scripture in front of you, I think one of the reasons he's been pounding over and over every week, and I've been railing against this, the life of individualism, the me, me, me culture that pervades everything that everyone in here does. I've tried to show you this over and over and over again because I see it so clear in the text that Paul Paul is saying I model myself after this remember I've been telling you that Paul was other focused he was in prison he could have looked up and said I'm a big deal somebody get me out of here I'm the most important man to ever live apart from Jesus Christ. Help me get out of here. He never did that. He never did that. I've been pounding that to you. Why does Paul do that? This is the beauty in the text. Why does he do that? He does it because that's how Jesus lived. Jesus never used his position or his status. He never used it for his personal benefit. He always utilized it for the advancement of others. Christ, by personal choice or action, he concealed his own glory for the benefit of mankind. Unbelievable. It's, un, it's remarkable. I think, he know, I think Paul knows that humility and unity are other-focused. I think he knows that, and I think he knows that to live in humility and to live in unity, you've got to be concerned about others, and you've got to be concerned about them, or you'll never be effective at the content and movement of the gospel. Do you see it? Do you see it? And so we have two hard questions we have to ask from this. Let's get real. I can give you doctrine all day, but let's, let's get real. We have two, everybody in here has two hard questions they have to ask themselves. The first is this, are you utilizing your position for the benefit and the service of others? Are you doing this? 
Everybody has some kingdom. God's given you something to manage. Are you using it for your own benefit or are you using it for the benefit of others? I thought about this. I'm gonna try not to make this too detailed, but I'm, I think this will help us think clearly about this. This will help you think clearly about the world you live in. So um, I try to always keep my fingers on the movements of the world. I, I'm not analyzing, but I'm always trying to think about what is going on in the culture. Part of my job as a pastor to know what's out there, to know what we're dealing with. What is the air you're breathing? I live in it too. And so I try to keep my fingers on the cultural landscape. I'm always thinking in that space. And I'm thinking, how does the Christian faith speak into this complexity? Because that's the world we live in. I'm trying to be helpful. I'm, a, I'm on the boot. I'm a practical guy. I love theology, but I'm a practical guy in some sense. And so if you study the movement of culture in human history, you run into this era in the 1900s around World War II. And there's a lot of things that happened in our culture around then. A lot of things, but I'm a businessman, so I think about business stuff, and I've studied this stuff before. But around the turn of the 20th century, um, in terms of business terms, there was some great, there's some really, some really major things that happened in terms of advertising and marketing. And so, advertising and marketing around this time, it sort of shifted away from practicality, uh, sort of this needs-based world, to personal enhancement. That's kind of what happened. It kind of, around the 1900s, you may not even know this, but advertising, it shifted from what do I need, what is practical, what do I need to get through this life? It shifted to like personal enhancement and and self-fulfillment. That's sort of what has happened in all of that. And so the business strategy sort of shifted with all that. And business shapes a lot of what we do. You don't realize this, but business practices shapes a lot of what we do. If you think about sales reps, sales reps kind of, if you know anything about business sales, salespeople, they kind of entered the landscape during this time and the sales they began to be a uh, salesman began to be these central figures in conveying to you what you needed <laughs> you right you start seeing things from the lens of a sales rep I'm okay with that I love sales reps and so I'm just saying that this is the way it happens so marketing changes and around this time some of you are familiar with this guy around this time this gentleman named Dale Carnegie came along and if you've done anything with business you've read this book you've read this book by him how to win friends and influence people I've read it you've read it and I'm just I'm not going to critique it but I want to get I just want you to think carefully about this stuff Dale Carnegie's like the self-help messiah you don't realize how this stuff comes into you but this is all this stuff is going on at the same time he wrote this influential book I think that book's been reprinted like 90 times which is if you you don't know anything about books books are my friends that's Unbelievable, But anyway, behind Dale Carnegie, he's really the self-help guy, but that's not what I want to talk about this morning. There's a gentleman that stands behind Dale Carnegie. Dale Carnegie kind of came out with this idea that like, man, you can self-improve and you can just be your best self and you can do you and all these sorts of things, this self-help kind of stuff. And so this stuff permeates you, it just does. And sort of behind this guy is this name, guy named Henry Link. So if you read Carnegie, I'm always thinking, this man didn't grow up in a vacuum. There's somebody behind him. Who's behind the man? I want to know about the guy behind the guy right and so who where's the brains behind all this because there's always this popular guy and he makes things popular there's always somebody really smart behind him and so there's this really smart guy behind him named peter not peter his name is uh henry link and so link was influential on carnegie and he's he was link was this psychologist he was a methodist he grew up a methodist he became heavy heavily involved in market research 
and just experimenting with consumer behavior. So he's this really smart dude, and he, and he wrote this book, Return to Religion, which was his, it was sort of a biography. He went agnostic, and then he came back, and it was his journey back into religion. And when I read, all, when I was thinking about all this stuff years ago, I wrote, wrote down something by Link because I read this book on him. And this is what he says. I'm going somewhere with all this, so hang on. I'm trying to teach you how the me, me, me culture has permeated your life. Look, listen to this. He wrote this in the book. He says, it requires religion or something higher to overcome the selfish impulses of the natural man. I'm there. Okay, we're on the same page with that. I may tweak religion a little bit. Then he says this, dot, 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 and to lead him to a more successful and fuller life. Think about this. It requires religion or something higher to overcome the selfish impulses of the natural man. You need the gospel. (laughs) I would say, we just say you need the gospel in there and dot, 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 to lead him to a more successful and fuller life. So it's the motive behind that statement. Let me show you what I'm talking about here. What he's saying in that statement is that to attend church or to have religion, you'll have a better personality. And if you have a better personality, it'll help you succeed in society individualism. You see how this stuff gets twisted? I'm just trying to show it to you. I'm not beating this guy up. I think I could probably have a great conversation with him if he were still alive. I'm okay with a successful and full life. I'm okay with that. I don't have a problem with that. I do. I want people, if you hang out with me long enough, you will see, I love to see people succeed. I love it. I absolutely love it. I love it. I love it. And so I believe that Christians are the happiest people on earth. I believe that. I believe that Christians, I believe that coming to church sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it gives you a better personality. It ought to, maybe not. But anyway, I, so I mean, I'm on the same page with him on that. I want you to flourish. I want you to run hard at whatever God's given you. There's a whole discussion on that I can't get into this morning. There's theology behind it and everything else. I want you to do that. But I want you to do it for different motives. I want you to check your motives on it. I'm not chasing this stuff. I'm not chasing all of this. I'm not chasing all of this. I'm not chasing all of this for my benefit. I'm not chasing all of it for my better personality. I'm not chasing all of it to be more successful in this world. I'm chasing it for the glory of God Almighty. Major difference in motive. Are you tracking with me on that? I'm okay with a successful or a fuller life, but for what end? What end are you chasing this stuff? Are you chasing it for the glory? Are you chasing it for the personality? Are you chasing it for the happiness? What are you chasing it for? The content and the movement of the gospel for the benefit of the kingdom, for the benefit of another. It permeates your life. I'm okay with a successful and a fuller life, but for the gospel, for the gospel. The Trinity from last week, the Father advances the kingdom through the Son. The Son glorifies the Father. The Spirit speaks not of himself. The Spirit speaks of the Son. And then ultimately, the Father glorifies the Son in vindication. Tell me anywhere in the Trinity right there where you heard someone looking out for themselves. Anywhere in that, The son advances the kingdom for the father. The son glorifies the father in his death. The spirit, he doesn't speak of himself. The spirit speaks of the son for your salvation. We heard this from Jim. And then the father glorifies the son in vindication. I mean, they all operate for the purposes of the other so that salvation can arrive to you and I. So the question, the second hard question, are you utilizing your status for your own personal advantage? Are you using it for the benefit of others? That is you. 
That's humility. That's unity. Let's get real, let's get real personal this morning. Y'all might run me off after this one. How about your marriage? I'm gonna step too far on that one. Are you building a marriage around the gospel? We believe that God has created man and woman unique. My wife can do stuff I can't do. Thank God. Are you using, men, women, plug your ears. Men, look at me. Are you using your God-given position in your marriage for purposes of your own benefit? Are you using it to allow your wife to flourish? To grow? Are you looking for ways Are you waking up every day? I'm in this battle too. Are you waking up every day, men, and looking for ways to get over yourself that your wife might flourish? I love you. Be a man. Real men utilize their position in the marriage to create a world in which their wife can flourish. How's the life of individualism, the me, me, me culture? How is it permeating your life? How is it permeating your life? Jesus, in an act of humility, he willingly chose a personal decision and action to conceal his divine glory and expose himself to the circumstances of mankind. How about you? Are you holding on to, are you, what are you holding on to that you need to let go of for the sake of the gospel? Here's the help. There's always help. There's always doctrine in it. We're gonna end on a good note. There's some challenging stuff in this. So what do we do with all this, Britt? How do we go? All this discussion about Jesus' divine and human nature, the implications of humility, uh, all of this stuff is prefaced by this clause in verse five that I want you to see. Look at this. There's ownership in this. It's preferenced by this major clause in verse five. Look at it. It says, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Look at that phrase there. This is significant because it's the grounding of your ability to live out the keys of this world. How do we pull this off, Brit? How do we even pull this off? We're not Jesus. I'm quite frankly struggling with individualism. How can I ever even pull this off? The Bible, I tell you this all the time, the Bible, it doesn't leave you dangling over a barrel. God doesn't leave you dangling over a barrel. We can arrive at humility because the individual Christian, this is a doctrine that we never talk about, but it's so, it might be, it's up here and justification and sanctification fall out of it. But it's this, you can arrive at humility because as individual Christians, you have what the Bible has been termed united with Christ. You're united with Christ. You're united with Christ. That is so important for us. It's a critical phrase that we have to think about clarity. So we literally share in life with Christ. You can obtain humility and unity because you share in life with Christ. You are united with Christ. The bar is not too high. The bar is not too high. This, this union with Christ, this is what we need to talk about here. It's a great theological truth that, it, that is underneath the entire text this morning. Union with Christ. What does union with Christ mean? This sounds all mystical and spiritual, Brit. What does it mean? It means that the good that, fl- this is what I wrote down, the good that flows from your life as a direct result of your connectedness to Christ, Christ is the mediator, he intercedes for you when you 
confess his name and the gospel is coming to your life, you are in union with Christ. You literally share in the life with Christ. There's these benefits to this. He gives you the spirit. At your conversion, when you're crucified with Christ, you're given life in him. You're, you're united with Christ. You're not united with him in substance. You're not deity. You're not God. But Christ and his benefits are donated to you. You have the help of the Holy Spirit. One of the huge benefits of union with Christ is the gift of the Spirit. The Spirit is your helper to do this. Christ takes hold of your life by way of the Spirit, and the Bible tells us that we die with Christ, we're resurrected with Christ in our salvation, and eventually we will ascend and be vindicated with Christ. But until that time comes, until we appear with Him in glory, we have the Spirit. We have the Spirit to help us. This is because we are united to Christ by faith, by faith, and we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Union with Christ. Union with Christ is a, sort, is a major doctrine under justification, over justification, and sanctification and Paul's letters his his letters are replete with this phrase go look at Ephesians everywhere in Ephesians he says in Christ in Christ in Christ in Christ in Christ what does he mean he means that you have these huge benefits because you are literally in Christ so because Christ is the God man and because he came humbly to expose himself to the circumstances of our life in order to unfold the gospel we are united with Christ individually and as a church we share in Christ's life you have the ability to live this out you have the ability to live this out we have been born again in Christ born again in Christ therefore I believe this with all of my heart we can act towards one another in the proper manner you can act towards one another in your marriage in the proper manner I'm not buying it Marriage is a struggle. It's not always easy. It can be messy. Life is messy, but you have this. If you're in the faith, you have union with Christ. This is not a pattern. This is not a suggestion by Paul. It's a reality, which is yours in Christ Jesus. It's possessive. Jesus, sometimes we feel like Jesus is so far up here that we can't get there. But Paul tells us in this text this morning that we're united with him and we can live victoriously because this is ours in Christ Jesus I want so bad for this in my life I've tried to build a marriage around this I've tried to build a life around this I've failed at it at times but I've tried to do it I want this so bad for the local church not only here but across this city and in the nation and beyond I want it so much for us particularly in our denomination the unity and the humility for the content and the movement of the gospel God grant us supernatural ability to utilize our positions for the interest of others by way of our life in Christ a life given power by union with Christ God grant us Grant us unity and humility as we pursue the content and the movement of the gospel. All for his glory. Amen and amen. Let us pray. Father, I'm humbled by the truth that you give us in the Bible. The depth of it is unmatched this morning. And in my weakness, Father, I... I can never do it justice. And so I just pray that by the work of your hand and the clarity that you can give by way of the Spirit that you apply this to our lives. 
We want to be transformed people. We don't, we, we want to be transformed people, God, sometimes. And there's other times, Father, that we struggle to even want to be what you call us to be. So I pray that individually that we all wrestle with this today, Father, in this very service, in this very moment, God. Change us. Change us, Father, that we might know you and understand you and that we may live out your purposes in this world. The gospel is so foundational to what we do and we realize the truth and the power in Paul's words. He gives us the map, Father. So give us the strength to live it out. Give us the strength to live it out in everyday life. In Christ's name, amen.